Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. 97.1 FM Talk Podcast. America. I am not a number. I am a free man. Wiggins America. The only thing I'm going to need from you guys right now is a cup of coffee. Wiggins. Today's global economy waits for no man. America. Today's global business climate is like, whatever, dude. Politics is a dirty game. I'm not sure we want to play. There are forces here at work that you couldn't possibly understand. You have no idea how high up this goes. Welcome to Wiggins America. He earned it, and I want to acknowledge that. Now, you've all heard the chatter among the political class. They're falling all over themselves, saying this race is over. Well, I have news for all of them. New Hampshire is first in the nation. It is not the last in the nation. This race is far from over. There are dozens of states left to go. Yeah, it's over. Thanks, Nikki. Thanks for playing. We've enjoyed. Hey, we've had a good time, though. Uh, we've we've had a nice little road trip. But I think we're just going to go back to being friends, if that's okay. I hope we haven't done any serious damage to our relationship. I do want to be friends, though. This is Wiggins America. Hi. Welcome to the show this weekend. We are on the heels of the New Hampshire primary that has pretty much ended the primary. So that was the first, as Nikki liked to point out, and it was the last. (laughs) Hey, look, this is the way the process plays out. I'm not saying that anything's over yet. I am just saying that it is actually over. Yes, it is. So what did my predictions do? That's really what we're going to get to here because I want you to trust me. And so if I make predictions about elections and I'm way off, I'm going to let you know that. But if I'm right on, I'm also going to let you know that. So what I did last week, if you were listening to the show, is I broadcast so that it's on record the predictions that I made for the New Hampshire primary. I'm going to play those now. And keep in mind, though, that when I made these predictions last Saturday on the air, This was before DeSantis had dropped out. So I do talk a little bit about DeSantis in there. but And I might have altered my prediction a little bit having known that fact. But I don't know that it would have changed it a whole lot. So maybe a little bit this way or that way. But here was the prediction. You tell me how I did. Today in time travel. So I'm going to say right now that Trump is still going to win New Hampshire. I don't know that that's a real bold prediction. 
think most people are probably expecting that he will. But here's my numbers prediction. DeSantis is not going to show real big in New Hampshire. Again, not a huge, bold prediction there. Haley will get second, but she will lose to Trump by about 15 points. She will declare that then a victory for her (laughs) and then say, well, now we know for sure it's a two-person race regardless. Uh, Now, if DeSantis somehow beats Nikki Haley, it's, it's over, over for her. And then DeSantis will have renewed energy. But neither one of them are going to beat Trump. I mean, Trump has this thing locked up already. I know a lot of people get mad when you say that because they want it to be somebody else other than Trump. Some some Republicans do. But I'm sorry, it's just not going to happen. <laughs> I mean, if the guy gets over 50% in New Hampshire, then it will be over. But we'll see. Uh, I do believe that he will win pretty easily, though. I'm saying 15 points. Again, DeSantis had not dropped out when I made that prediction. And if he had, I might have added a little bit more to Haley. I know that the talking heads said, oh, DeSantis dropping out is going to help Trump. I don't know that that's the case because a lot of the DeSantis vote, while DeSantis is like Trump without the personality, for lack of a better word, it's not really fair, but let's just say that's it. And a lot of people who wanted him like Trump policies, but they they didn't like Trump. A lot of people also just hated Trump and wanted somebody else. And he was an alternative. So I don't know that all of his vote would have went to Trump. I think it would have been probably pretty split between Trump and Haley because the anti-Trump vote uh, that liked DeSantis may have just gone to Haley. So I don't know that it really impacted a whole. I might have just left the prediction the same. But there you go. The rap on that was that I said Trump by 15 over Haley, and it was a two-person race. Then it actually became a two-person race, and Trump won by 12, but not quite 15. So I would say that that's pretty close. Pollsters say margin of error of three is within you know, the striking, and so that's within striking. I'm going to give myself a, a positive grade there. It's up to you. Here's what Nancy Mace says going forward. Well, I, I've never seen anything like it in South Carolina. The number of people that I have spoken to, and I, I stayed on the sidelines for a long time before I decided to endorse. I believe Nikki Haley was a great governor. She's run a great race. And South Carolina likes Nikki Haley, but they love Donald Trump. And it is overwhelming by every measurement everywhere across the state, in Charleston, South Carolina, to the upstate. He's winning by 30 to 40 points because of his record of a strong economy, because of his record of peace overseas and never and none of these endless wars because of his record and being strong on immigration he has that record people trust him and they want to go back to the time that donald trump was president because they were they were wealthier they were more prosperous they were safer they felt safer here and around the world and that's what matters thank you miss mace she is for real she's got it right uh, trump's gonna be the nominee and so it's time as many many people have said i think eric schmidt senator missouri uh, has said this as as well as many others. Time to coalesce behind Trump. And look, I, I I don't want credit. You know how much I hate getting credit. I if I wanted credit for things, I would play back my predictions. <laughs> I have said that Donald Trump is inevitable. Even back when people were saying, "Oh, it's going to be DeSantis," I think he's the guy. I said, "No, no, 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 no." And I was saying this since 21. Look, Trump. If he decides to run again, he's the guy. Well, here we are. He's going to be the guy. 
And people keep saying, I don't know, Ryan, I don't know about this Biden guy. I think he's the president right now, but I think they're going to stage some sort of coup, which, by the way, they do all the time. It's just when it's uh, the other party, they love using the word insurrection. Uh, we're going to stage a coup to get rid of the current president off of the ballot. People are saying that, that that's going to happen. There's a lot of leftist voices saying that that should happen. There's major left voices saying that that should happen, not just from the Internet. So will it happen? No. Uh, that is the only way to stop Biden. I will say that. So if it happens, that's the way to do it, because Biden's running. Biden is going to be the nominee. He would just won the New Hampshire primary. He wasn't even on the ballot. OK, the guy's not popular, but he's still got all the momentum, which implies that there's movement forward. We'll say inertia instead of momentum, because he's just a moving object at this point. But he's got the inertia. Because he's the president. If he decides he's going to run, he's going to run. If he decides to be the nominee, he's going to be the nominee. Nobody's going to stop him. Nobody's going to stop crazy old Joe from declaring that he is the presidential nominee in 2024. So I've been on record saying that over and over and over again, based on my predictions, take it or leave it. I've been fairly accurate, but that is up to your interpretation. Here's one more prediction for you. And I'll probably do this again at the end of the show. I'll probably throw this out there again because I love doing the prediction stuff. It's fun. It's just fun to be on record and see how we did. Trump is the favorite to be the next president of the United States right now. I know you're going to hear from a lot of people that he's not, that uh, he's got all this baggage. Yeah, he's got a ton of baggage. He's also the favorite to be the next president of the United States. If you had to look across the entire globe at every single one of the 8 billion people on it, you would say, you know what? I got $1,000. I got to put it on somebody of these 8 billion people to be the next president of the United States. I'm going to put it on Trump. That's not just me saying that. Vegas says that. He's the number one, the betting odds as well. So there you go. Uh, I watch polling. I watch all this stuff. And it's all to just be more accurate in predicting what's going to happen. And so I like to be on record. Let's take a short break. And we will be back. Uh, I I just want to tease one thing. Now, there's a lot coming up in this show. But in the next hour, Mark Cox is going to come in. The reason Mark Cox is going to come in is because I'm from Illinois. He's from Missouri. He's plugged into all this craziness going on in the Missouri Senate right now. I mean, there is a fight among Republicans like I've never seen before, and it is playing out nasty, and it's going to affect policy if they don't get their freaking act together. I, I'm going to cede most of that to Mark Cox, who knows much more about it in the next hour. You're going to want to hear that. This is Wiggins America. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. Patricia, last week, I think in this very segment, we talked about Willem Dafoe. Mm -hmm. You shared your thoughts on his thoughts about why streaming is terrible for movies. I remember. And we came to the conclusion that we sort of agreed, but we sort of disagreed. And really, that was not a great conclusion. Yeah. Yeah. We started basically, we ended exactly where we started uh, in the middle somewhere. Indifferent. It was like we never talked about it at all. Right. And so if you want to hear that great segment, get the podcast. Yeah. 
your life will be the exact same before and after. Yeah, which is what you want out of media. Obviously. <laughs> you don't want to be changed. You don't want to be changed. You don't don't even expect wowed. Just Yeah, you just want to be comforted. Yeah. You just want a, kind of a warm blanket. Yeah. Maybe we'll, not nice we'll be there. hot chocolate. Um, <clears throat> this week, instead of Willem Dafoe, I bring you Jodie Foster. Okay. She says that her co-stars of the Generation Z variety can be really annoying to work with. Imagine that. She says... This is a problem specifically to you, for you, Jodie Foster. It's just Jodie Foster. None of the rest of us deal with it. She says they're really annoying, especially in the workplace. They're like, nah, I'm not feeling it today. I'm going to come in at 1030. Or like in emails, I'll tell them, this is all grammatically incorrect. Did you not check your spelling? And they're like, why would I do that? Isn't that kind of limiting? (laughs) 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 The first one I thought was was cool the second one i'm like you're checking their grammar and emails okay also did that really happen did somebody say did somebody say like my grammar is grammar police is limiting my my ability to communicate i don't know I don't that's know what, what that. she says this is now this okay. is she quoting them um but my my question for you is because i got a couple of gen z and gen x millennial stories here my question for you is is this just the way 18-year-olds have always been, and now we call it a thing? Or is it actually specific to this generation? No, I think it's specific to this generation. Really? I think that there's been a sense of entitlement that has come with an empowerment of youth and the celebration of how successful youth can be on the internet. Okay. And it's seeped into the workplace, where when you and I were growing up, we weren't celebrated for... I mean, we were celebrated for academic accomplishments and sports accomplishments and... Just being decent human beings, but now kids are celebrated for their TikTok dances and they're getting all this affirmation from all these outside sources. So when they come into a workspace where you are supposed to walk in a door and earn respect and automatically respect your superiors, there's already this sense of like the world loves me. So you're going to love me and just accept me as I am or it's your problem. It's not my problem. I would agree. I, I would say that's been getting worse. It's not all of a sudden worse. It's because we used to complain, oh, millennials are like this. Even they'd say, well, Gen X is a little bit like this. But it has gotten increasingly like that. I think that it there is you could probably do a study with the Internet and the rise of the Internet. I think it's more than just the Internet. I, I, I'm not disputing what you're saying at all. I think that has exacerbated it. But there's a sense of telling people that your voice needs to be heard. You are important, and whatever you're feeling is true. Mm-hmm. And that's just stupid. Yeah. And we don't. We used to not tell people that. I remember being a kid in the 80s, and I. it, it was when the word self-esteem started to become a thing. And I didn't know that that was just becoming a thing, but now I look back and I'm like, that didn't exist before the mid to late 80s. And it's not wrong. It's not like having self-esteem is wrong. But the way that it was starting to be introduced as this like self-examination, self-glorification mm-hmm. in a way, I remember coming home one day and and thinking, oh, I got something really useful here and saying to my dad, who's been working at at the time, had been working at Granite City Steel for like 75 years, and he was not going to put up with whatever I was about to do. And, he's, and I was like, oh, I was being whiny. You know, I'm 10 years old or whatever. 
And he's like, what are you doing? <laughs> and I'm like, oh, my self-esteem is kind of low today. <laughs> I, I kid you not. I kid you not. And he was like, I, I think he was really on the verge of saying shut up. Did he laugh? But he, he kind of almost laughed. And I was like, I think that's maybe the last time I'm ever going to do that. <laughs> Will not say that anymore. <laughs> that was it. Yeah, I, I think you're probably right. The exacerbation thing, because I like the more I thought about it um, as you were speaking, youth in in general has this sense of like bold self-assurance. I know everything kind of deal. Yeah. I mean, hippies in the 70s, yeah. you know, but I think it's probably more than ever before been. Um, I think society now, there's an expectation that we take it seriously. You're right. That we all take it seriously or we're the bad guys. Yeah. And in the past, that was laughed at because it was like, well, that's a youth thing. Mm -hmm. Now it's like, no, no, that's real. Yeah, that's real. We need to respect that. If you're not respecting that, you're a monster. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, it's the Maslow's hierarchy of, of needs. You remember learning that? No. It, this was something that I learned both in high school and college. I remember fighting against it in college in the early 2000s. And it, I don't remember all of the – it's like the basic needs of, so of like food. like food, and, shelter. Yeah, that's, that. that's the first one yeah. at the bottom of the pyramid. Is it like a pyramid? And it goes yes. up. And at the very top of the pyramid is self-realization. But the goal of the whole thing is self. It is not put others first. It is self, self, self. And that is something that is taught in psychology. And I just wonder if it's not just that, but that kind of epitomizes the way our academia, the, the way that we teach everything now. It's really about you, 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 you first all the time. Mm -hmm. And if you can't figure you out, then you got to do that before you can do anything else. And it, it used to not be like that. It used yeah. to be put others first or or think outside of yourself a little bit here. But now it's all self. Mm -hmm. The other story I have for you has nothing to do with Jodie Foster. Okay. Although, have you? Do you watch uh, True Detective at all? No. Should I? Yeah, it's good. Is she in that? Mm -hmm. This okay. fourth season. Okay, that must be why they're talking to her because yeah. she's referencing things mm -hmm. in there that I don't know. Yeah. Um, what is True Detective? Is it a? It's an anthology. Oh, I might like it then. I like um, Although there's some tie-ins here and there. The first season has Woody Harrelson and Matthew McConaughey. I'm watching that. I'm going back and re-watching that while I'm watching the new season. It's coming out weekly. But is it just a crime drama? It's a crime drama, Okay. Yeah. See, I'm not There's some super supernatural elements in it. It's just really well written, really well acted. Okay. All right. Well, maybe. Maybe. I'll tell you this. Dave Glover, when I filled in this week on his show, which I think you did too. Mm -hmm. A couple um, times. When I was in there, off air we got done, and he he was like to completely switched, and he goes, you need to watch American Nightmare. Yeah. Did he tell you that, too? He I, must yes. be really into I, it. I have watched that. Um, Is it good? I, Yeah, it's... It's like true crime, though, right? Mm -hmm. Okay. And I it's interesting. It. Mark Reardon was talking about that earlier in the week, too. It's, it must be pretty good. I watched it. Uh, it'll, it makes you think. It, okay. It's twisty. It's like a roller coaster. Well, I like that. So, okay, I guess I got to watch it. But all this genre is not really my thing. Yeah. Everybody's suggesting this stuff. Uh, Gen X mom learns why Gen Z and millennials love closed captions. Uh, they, she says, it's definitely a thing for Gen Z. In fact, she says in a now viral video, this woman, uh, that closed captions are why they watch TV at all because they're not really paying attention. 
So to even watch something on TV, they have it's like her, she's talking about her daughters. They have to have closed captions on to force them to stare at the screen. To force them to watch it at all because otherwise they won't. It'll just be on. It's kind of related to the conversation we had last week, which mm-hmm. is why I wanted to bring it up. Do you do you do this? Because I don't, and I hate. No, I hate it. Okay, me too. No, but I know a lot of people who really love it. Yeah, it drives me crazy, and I couldn't figure that out. I guess that's a reason. I feel like you're still just probably not going to pay attention. I I can't watch. So there are very few foreign shows that I can watch because I hate reading Mm -hmm. the closed caption. I agree. I, I am, and maybe it's because we're in radio. I'm very much an audio learner. And retainer. So if I hear something, I'm much more likely to remember it than if I read it or if I watch it. And I know a lot of people are visual learners. Mm-hmm. And my wife is one. She's a visual learner. She much much rather read things. But I used to go, again in college, I used to go to all my classes because I knew if I went to the class and heard the lecture, I would ace the tests. And I never read a thing. If I, as long as I heard the lecture, I would remember the information. And so that may be why I hate closed captions because I'd rather hear the characters talk and I don't like foreign stuff as much either because it's dubbed and it's just weird. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know. I, the last thing I watched was Parasite and I liked that more than I thought I would. What was that? It was that film. It won Best Picture a couple years back. Oh, that's an Asian movie? Yes, I was going to say, I was going to pick a country, but I don't know which country. I don't so either, I but I remember say. seeing yes. it. Yes, it, it was good. The lead, one of the lead characters just passed away, actually. From a that parasite? was in the news. Uh, no. <laughs> no. That would be weird. It was so crazy all that these would be years like true later. Crime. But I, um, no, closed captioning usually drives me nuts. Okay. Well, speaking of true crime, we're going to break there and come back with Trisha a little later. Because there is a real true crime story that maybe you've been following. I'm just catching up on this as of the end of the week. Apparently, it's been going on for a while now. It is this story about the the men in Kansas City who watched a Chief, Chiefs game together and then went out in the backyard and died. It's real weird. We're going to talk about it in the next hour. Stick around. What's with the Stanley Cup thing now? I'm not talking about the Hockey Stanley Cup. I'm talking about the Stanley Cups that everybody's buying for their office and for their job now. Stanley Cups have been around, Stanley brand cups have been around for something like 70 years, so it's not as if that's a new thing. I don't know why trends happen. If I could analyze that, I could probably make a billion dollars. Why something becomes trendy or why it doesn't. And I suggested this to a friend of mine that maybe the whole Stanley Cup thing is because people thought it was funny, but apparently not. It was apparently was already trending, and then people started calling them the Stanley Cups, and that also was supposed to add to it. Anyway, I don't get it. I don't know why people are obsessed with Stanley brand cups now, but it has taken off on TikTok, and winsome young TikTokers who have made Stanley Cups such a hot accessory, says this article, uh, people are storming Target the minute a new color comes out. Again, what the heck? This is like the beanie baby of the moment. Later, this will be nothing. It, 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 in six months, probably less than that, in three months, people won't even remember that this is happening. Despite our alleged addiction to hydration, which there's a link. I love that. 
<laughs> because how many times do people talk about, oh, you just got to stay hydrated? We're addicted to hydration. One of the most painful low hydration related conditions is on the rise despite our addiction to hydration. Numerically and demographically, once considered an affliction of the older, obese white men. Again, not sure how race plays into this, but it is there. Kidney stones are now increasingly common among children and black and brown communities. Now, I guess, in a sense, when you're talking medically, race could play into things. Like, I have cystic fibrosis. That is primarily a white European descent disease, whereas sickle cell anemia is primarily a black descent disease. Um, This says, though, that it is uh, kidney stones are on the rise with everybody and women. According to a 2018 report from the Mayo Clinic, women are now four times more likely to get kidney stones than they were 40 years ago. If you don't think this is an alarming trend, then you've never had a kidney stone. The article person writing, it says, I have, despite the fact that I own enough insulated water bottles to net out an entire soccer team, and I feel like I'm always sipping from one of them, but feelings are not facts, as I discovered when I wound up in the emergency room begging for very strong drugs or failing that, a quick death. I got to tell you, personal experience here, I'm right there. You may have heard me tell my tale. I'll finish this one first. My previous knowledge of kidney stones was vague and secondhand. I remember my father had them many years ago. I knew they were painful, but I'm healthy, eat sensibly, exercise daily, and I thought, drink plenty of water. Why would I worry about such things? Because those spiky little suckers just happen out of nowhere, apparently like miscarriages or seizures, to a certain percentage of the population. Made up of minerals and salts, they often hang out in the kidneys or blithely pass through the urinary tract without bothering anyone, but some of them will take you all the way down. That's what happened to me. If you haven't heard this story, uh, I just... So uh, last weekend, Saturday afternoon, I surprised my wife by taking her out of town. We had so much going on Saturday and Sunday... And then, of course, Monday was a normal work day. Well, I had scheduled Monday off for myself here at work. If you listen to the Andy Fry Show, you would have noticed that I wasn't there Monday. But she did not know that I had also talked to her boss and scheduled it off for her. So if you were listening to Mike Elam fill in on the Andy Fry Show last Friday, he mentions, oh, you're going out of town. And I'm like, don't say anything because I didn't want it to happen to hear it. She didn't. But I didn't want her to happen to catch on. There were so many details trying to plan a vacation for your wife when she is planning the whole weekend for your family with the kids' stuff. And I think we had three different birthday parties and a practice and so on and so forth. So all of those things, and I even added events to it to make, that were fake so that she didn't fill it up too much. And then told her on Saturday afternoon okay, you know how we're supposed to do this and that? Well, those events are fake, and we cleared out your schedule otherwise with some friends and my parents. They're going to watch the kids. We're going out of town. So we went down to Florida for two days of what was supposed to be nicer weather, although it was it's definitely nicer than here, but it was a high of only in the 50s on Saturday and Sunday and then a high in the 60s on Monday. So she was shocked to find all of that out. Now, how is that related to kidney stones? Well, we were doing a lot of walking and sightseeing and things. And I remember back in May, the Annie Fry Show team, so me, Brad, Annie, and at the time, Hannah, 
went to Disney World for three days. Disney World vacation slash theme park, because to me, Disney World is just in the classification of theme parks. I love theme parks. I love rides. And so I love Disney World because it has great rides, not because of anything else, obviously. But we went down there, and it's the Cadillac of theme parks, and it's got great rides, great experiences across the board. And we did three days where I think we did 30,000 steps the first two days and something like 20 to 25 the last day. Well, I was keeping track over the weekend we just had, and I did 26,000 the first day and I think 16,000 the second day, somewhere around there. So not quite as much as that May Disney vacation, but still quite a few. And if you recall, if you're a regular listener of this show or of any show, Right after we got back from Disney World, the, the the four of us on the show, on Wednesday, so we came back Monday night. On Wednesday morning, I woke up in intense pain and didn't know what was happening. And then after laying on the floor for about a half an hour in the bathroom, praying to God that I could go to the bathroom, which I barely was, I'm like, something is wrong. I hope I'm not rupturing an organ here or something. Well, it was a kidney stone. I had just never had one before, but I didn't realize what they were or how painful they were. And apparently mine was not even the size of some of them. It was, of course, big enough that it was causing me intense pain. And at one point I was thinking, I wonder what it would be like to die. And I started thinking about George Harrison. (laughs) I wonder what he was thinking when he died. (laughs) Why? I have no idea, but that is what was going through my head. When George Harrison died in the year 2000, I wonder if he was thinking things like I'm thinking right now. (laughs) Hey, when you go through it, you just go through, you go through it in your way. Okay. And that, that was mine. That was my coping mechanism. Apparently was thinking about here comes the sun. I don't know. Um, but it was incredibly painful. So I found out that I guess I am prone to kidney stones, although I'd never had one of that magnitude before. So I'm really cognizant now of hydration and the whole addiction to hydration thing. As I started this segment by saying, I am now one of those people, but I promise I am not getting a Stanley cup. We are going to take a short break and be back now. I want to tease this. This is in the next hour, though, so I want you to get the podcast if you're just listening right now randomly and and you can't come back. There is a lot of drama going on in Missouri. I'm an Illinois guy, so I'm not quite as plugged into Missouri politics, but I'm here. You know, I, I work here in St. Louis, so obviously it's local. And I want to talk about what the Missouri legislature is going through. There is a huge battle, and it is public, and it is mean, and it is nasty going on in the Missouri Senate primarily right now, and it will affect the politics in the entire state. We're kind of at a make or break moment, and since I am an Illinoisan and and not quite as plugged in, Mark Cox has agreed to come on the show and explain everything that's going on, and I have some very pointed questions I want to ask as an outsider looking in that I want to get to the bottom of. You're listening to Wiggins America is everywhere. I think that's one of the, the reasons that I'm glad to be doing this. Uh, I, I didn't plan on ever doing politics, you know? I mean, not that we do exclusively politics here on Wiggins America or even at 97.1, but that's the, the main thing that we talk about is current events. And that can move in all kinds of directions because current events move in all kinds of directions. But 
I never realized how important it was to be able to call out corruption and be an independent voice. I'm not saying that this is like a super powerful show. It, Wiggins America is a weekend show. Maybe someday, whatever God has planned, will will be something else. I don't know. I, I really don't. But it is great to be able to point out the corruption that exists. And it is not just in the Democrat Party. I think that's what's so important that we've realized in the last, what, five to ten years is that this corruption that we are talking about is from people who a lot of times are well-intentioned. I think that's one of the things I've learned from getting into this business and being able to meet legislatures. Now, we're not always talking to the biggest national people. Sometimes we do. But a lot of times who we're talking to are more local and state politicians. And you realize that a lot of these people, they're not evil. They have good intentions going in, but then they get into the stream of things and they don't, they don't have enough backbone to fight. And then when they do, they sometimes lose their positions. I mean, we're talking about the Missouri legislature, some of these guys who seem to me to have backbone, you know, in, in, in excess, they've lost all their committee positions because they were willing to stand up to the machine. Now that's painting things as one-sided. And again, I don't really know exactly what the sides are saying in the Missouri legislature right now, but I do know who does. That's Mark Cox. And so he's going to come on in the next hour and explain to me both sides of that issue, which I'm looking forward to. In the meantime... Let's talk federal. <clears throat> one guy and one reason that I do like Donald Trump is that he does seem willing to just go against the grain. And I mean every grain, even grain that you're like, sometimes I wouldn't mind if you went with it on this point. He goes against it no matter what. And it's one of the reasons that I kind of feel like you can trust a guy like that. Ramaswamy's another. You know, he calls out corruption. I mentioned on Mark Cox's morning show that he called out the CPAC, that's a Republican straw poll, for being something you could buy your way onto. Nobody had ever called that out before. He was willing to do it. So what I want to do here is going into the top of the hour, I'm going to play Trump's plan to eliminate federal corruption. It's three minutes long. He gives you bullet points. Here you go. First, I will immediately reissue my 2020 executive order restoring the president's authority to remove rogue bureaucrats, and I will wield that power very aggressively. Second, we will clean out all of the corrupt actors in our national security and intelligence apparatus, and there are plenty of them. The departments and agencies that have been weaponized will be completely overhauled so that faceless bureaucrats will never again be able to target and persecute conservatives. Christians or the left's political enemies, which they're doing now at a level that nobody can believe even possible. Third, we will totally reform FISA courts, which are so corrupt that the judges seemingly do not care when they are lied to in warrant applications. So many judges have seen so many applications that they know were wrong, or at least they must have known. They do nothing about it. They're lied to. Fourth, to expose the hoaxes and abuses of power that have been tearing our country apart. 
We will establish a Truth and Reconciliation Commission to declassify and publish all documents on deep state spying, censorship, and corruption. And there are plenty of them. Fifth, we will launch a major crackdown on government leakers who collude with the fake news to deliberately weave false narratives and to subvert our government and our democracy. When possible, we will press criminal charges. Sixth, we will make every Inspector General's office independent and physically separated from the departments they oversee so they do not become the protectors of the deep state. Seventh, I will ask Congress to establish an independent auditing system to continually monitor our intelligence agencies to ensure they are not spying on our citizens or running disinformation campaigns against the American people, or that they are not spying on someone's campaign like they spied on my campaign. Eighth, we will continue the effort launched by the Trump administration to move parts of the sprawling federal bureaucracy to new locations outside the Washington Swamp. Just as I moved the Bureau of Land Management to Colorado, as many as 100,000 government positions could be moved out, and I mean immediately, of Washington to places filled with patriots who love America. And they really do love America. Ninth, I will work to ban federal bureaucrats from taking jobs at the companies they deal with and that they regulate. So they deal with these companies, and they regulate these companies, and then they want to take jobs from these companies. Doesn't work that way. Such a public display cannot go on, and it's taking place all the time, like with Big Pharma. Finally, I will push a constitutional amendment to impose term limits on members of Congress. This is how I will shatter the deep state and restore government that is controlled by the people and for the people. Thank you very much. Trump's plan to eliminate corruption in a tangible way. There you go. We got to take a break here with the top of the hour. Be back another hour with America. Get more at 971talk.com. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcast. You'll be glad you did.